0: Welcome to the Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Esben, the co-founder of Cobalt and Userflow. Esben, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure.
0: Likewise. And uh, you have an amazing story because you have built uh, one company in kind of a um, VC packets way. Now you are building another company in a much more bootstrapping way. You also led the first company Cobalt in a sales-led growth model, and now with a product-led growth model with uh, with Userful. But better than me, why don't you introduce yourself to, um, to the community out there?
1: Yeah, I think you, you did a good start. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, uh, as you mentioned, I, I founded a company called Cobalt. Uh, we founded that back in 2013, uh, which is basically a cybersecurity company, uh, but software driven. So you have like a we do something called pen test as a service, which is basically penetration testing, but delivered via modern software platform. Uh, but it's still with actual humans testing your your platform, uh, and that that was uh, quite successful. We grew that. Uh, it's a Series B company. Uh, Today, uh, with more than 300 employees, um, I decided, however, to leave that uh, operationally uh, approximately two years ago. Um, I think I'm always, I'm kind of like a founder by heart, maybe more, and wanted to, (laughs) I like those early stages, uh, and that's why I decided to kind of start from scratch and and do another startup, Uh, and that's um, when I co-founded Userflow together with my uh, co-founder Sebastian uh, and Userflow is basically a company, a software as a service company where you can build no-code onboarding, so you can basically build uh, onboarding as a layer on top of your own software. Um, Got it. And and Userflow is, as you mentioned, very different. Uh, we've been around mm-hmm. now. My my co-founder started a bit before me, so we've been around for three years, uh, but we're still only three employees. Uh, we' are bootstrapped, uh, but yeah uh still the business is doing really really well uh we just wanted to do it different uh, this time
0: and with with user flow you already have, have gone from zero to one with just three uh team members yeah you know, exactly beyond, two of them I mean, founders
1: <laughs> yeah beyond one million dollars in AR uh, we are we are way above that uh so yeah uh, it's going really really well uh, we have 550 plus customers today and yeah Everything is going well.
0: In terms of roots, uh, I know that you have you are based in 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 the valley in San Francisco, but uh, you also have Danish roots. I have worked with yeah. uh, so, a couple of um, Danish it's... companies. I like the the, um, the 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 Danish roots and Danish culture of uh, also uh, a lot of experience going from Denmark into into the U.S. directly uh, over there. Uh, any yeah. comments uh, about that? Uh,
1: no, I think I, I think the, um, both Cobalt was, I started together with three other Danish uh, guys and then uh, Userflow is also with a Danish co-founder. Uh, so you can say we it's Danish rooted, but it's uh, both companies were started in the US um, mm-hmm. and incorporated in the US. Uh, my co-founder now in Userflow moved to Copenhagen, moved back to Copenhagen, uh, but I'm still okay. in San Francisco. Um, okay. So yeah, I think okay. it with Cobalt, it was a bigger challenge because we were, four uh, guys coming from denmark we didn't know anybody in the valley <laughs> wow. uh, we had to kind of start from from the very scratch uh, and but back then 10 years ago it was the way to go right if you wanted to raise capital if you wanted to build a tech business that was the place to be uh, today that i think that has changed a lot the uh, the tech world yeah. is much more global today it's much easier to raise money and and build a okay. global business from anywhere in the world basically.
0: Um so just a second curiosity before we go into the nitty-gritty of the bootstrapping versus VC game, product led growth versus sales-led growth is uh, kind of the um, the time zone difference, right? So typically the general advice is start with the East Coast because for Denmark, you would have a six-hour difference. And in, to Silicon Valley, you have a nine-hour uh, difference. From the ones in the UK and Portugal, like myself, it's a little bit easier, but still five and eight uh, respectively. Uh, but anyway, any any comments there why you move into the West Coast directly instead of considering the East Coast? I'm sure that some founders that are also considering this that listen to the podcast and it might be useful for them.
1: Yeah, I think back back 10 years ago with Cobalt, uh, with it was because that's where the tech was, right? Uh, you didn't have these... Um, these hubs in other places uh, you might have had a few tech companies in Boston and so on, oh, New York <laughs> but it wasn't like a big community like it was in Silicon Valley um, yeah. and uh, it was just a place to go to as I said raise capital be in the tech community and it was super exciting uh, I think as mentioned this has changed now so you can basically be placed wherever in the world you want to be um, right. I think uh, yes, you should consider like uh, geographically putting you in a place where you can give the best support to your customer base. And maybe that is East Coast. We're lucky in Userflow. We we have kind of uh, people in Europe and then we have me in, on the West Coast, right? So we, we can cover everything from Australia to US to Europe right. um, uh, with that team. And that's similar to what we had in Cobalt. We had a team in Europe. We had a team and uh, we ended up having uh, East East Coast office in Boston, and uh, and we started in, in Silicon Valley, right? So, um, yeah, that distribution can mean a lot. But I think if you go product-led, it means less because then um, you don't have to uh, build teams around doing a lot of meetings. Product-led okay. growth is a lot about reducing the need to have customer meetings, uh, reducing the need to have sales meetings. Good point. And in that way, you can basically be placed wherever you want.
0: And maybe we, we can go into into this direction. If you want, we, we can kind of change the order of talking about bootstrapping versus the VC game. Yeah, sure. and let's go directly into product-led led growth versus sales-led growth, how, how you build Cobalt and, and how you are building uh, user flow with, with a different lens or a different go-to-market strategy.
1: Yeah. So maybe for those who are not so familiar with the two models, I think um, Good point. for me, product-led growth uh, is really can be defined in two ways. One is a, a, it's a cultural mindset in your business where you always think product first in everything you do, right? So you, every time you need to solve a problem, instead of solving it with people, you think about how could we solve this directly in the product? So if you have a support issue that's recurring, you don't hire more support people. No, you fix the actual root cause in the product. Um, if you uh, okay. spend a lot of time on procurement, you figure out how can we make that more streamlined in the product. So so those Mm -hmm. are like just examples, but it's basically like a company-wide culture where you always think product first. Um, And uh, so it's everything in marketing, sales, customer success, and not only the product. team. Uh, So that's one way of looking at it. The other good way of looking at it is to compare it to its counterpart sales-led growth. So in sales-led growth, uh, which is has been the most popular model in software as a service over the last right. um, uh, 20 years, uh, and it has been that you go to a website, you uh, request a demo, you uh, get routed to maybe a PDR who routes you to an AE, you have a demo, you then discuss back and forth, you m- might have more meetings. Uh, you um, Mm kind of evaluate and then you decide on buying. And when you decide on buying, you get onboarded by a customer success manager, and then you get to use the product. (laughs) Where in product-led growth, you are uh, kind of doing the opposite and simplifying. So you're basically Mm -hmm. allowing users to have access to your product from the beginning through a free trial or freemium. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you convert ideally the customers without them speaking with anybody, uh, but you can have like sales assist um, and then they, so they basically buy themselves uh, via the product. They get onboarded via the product. Uh, and ideally you also expand and retain them via the product. But mm-hmm. as I mentioned, product doesn't need to exclude people, uh, but they just become more of a nice to have than a need to have, um, so you're kind of shifting it around. Um, and yeah, uh, so, so at Cobalt, I think we actually started out as a product-led company. Uh, we were very much nice. free trial, self-sign-up, uh, because when you start out, that's kind of how you think about software business. I think mm-hmm. what we realized at Cobalt was, as uh, so we were in, doing penetration testing, and mm-hmm. one, uh, that was a market dominated by consultancies who, by nature, does a lot of mm-hmm. high-touch, and mm-hmm. um, And uh, so that was what the customer were used to, that they get a lot of high-touch, everything explained, get to meet the pen testers. And we were already changing the market a lot by making it platform-driven, software-driven, introducing this whole new model of doing pen testing. So there was a lot of education to be made, and we were up against the high-touch service industry. Mm -hmm. So I think at that point in time, we just realized to compete with the consultancies, we needed to be a bit more high-touch. Um and to educate the market. And that's why we decided to move more in a sales-led direction. Um, But then actually, uh, after like seven, eight years, we kind of realized now we're too sales-led, right? Now we need to become (laughs) a bit more product-led. Um, because now the market has matured. Um we are less competing against we're still cobalt still competing against consultancies, but there are also Mm -hmm. new platforms coming and stuff like that. And people have gotten much more used to um, uh, software as a service and these kind of software-driven approaches. So now was the time to really see, can we move uh, some of our customers to do more self-service, product-led, especially the smaller customers, but also the larger ones. Uh, And that's Mm -hmm. a journey we then embarked on in in Cobalt, actually, to transition more of the business to be more product-led instead of Uh, sales-led. And that was a super fun journey that, that also sparked my interest in the space and, and a big reason for why I decided to do a user flow.
0: And it happens a lot when, when a company that is kind of considered successful after Series A and through Series B, Series C and start facing some growth plateaus. It becomes too expensive and uh, and sometimes we even have a, a huge number of, uh, of salespeople and we are not able to accelerate uh, sales and to increase sales. Uh, Sometimes it even uh, happens the opposite is we have more people and we are able to sell uh, less or the marginal uh, increase in terms of the output uh, is, is not proportional to the amount of ad count that we add into the company so it shows that sometimes even the unit economics stop working and it's kind of a of a nightmare uh, in terms of uh, of scaling up so that's why then we start considering other ways of of making it work and uh, it's it comes to mind how can we become more product-led growth i imagine that it's super different to start already with that mindset with a product-led growth uh mindset but doing this conversion from a sales-led growth into product led growth is, is not easy at all any any advice for the folks out there that are scaling up that might be considering our 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 system or our methodology of sales is not working anymore or it's not being productive it's the unit economics don't don't work maybe we should consider to be a little bit more product product-led growth oriented uh how do we do that and uh, yeah, what are the challenges uh, no, that no. we face it
1: yeah no very good question i think so yeah, the unit economics. I agree. You reach a growth growth plateau, and you want to see can you do new avenues. But it's also about being cost efficient, right? Like how how much are you actually right. spending on growing, right? Um, Good point. Yeah. Where in a sales-led model, you spend a lot, right? You tend to spend a lot of money on growth and the time, um, right. uh, even when you um, uh, even when you grow to a large size, it's still kind of the same maybe you can make it a bit more effective and efficient, but it's still uh, it's still a head count you need to add, right? Uh, you need to add the head counts for, for customers. Whereas with a product-led approach, if you fix a, a problem in the product and a process in the product, it works mm-hmm. for all, right? Then you don't need to support them anymore on that. And that's like a one-time cost instead of a continuous cost. Right. Um, so that's something to be aware about as well. Uh, the transition from sales led to product led is super hard. Uh, and I know a lot of businesses are looking at that now. They were already looking at that the last two years, but now with yeah. the current market conditions, um, where people are, there's a lot of people probably on the market, but it's also uh, mm-hmm. VCs are finally asking, do you need all these uh, people in your company or could you do work work a bit smarter with, with, your, with your head count, right? Right. Um, and so, so I think it's that 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 gr- drives a lot of focus on product growth. And this transition is a big change management exercise, basically, because you have a company that's thinking sales led in everything they do. So they've been used to thinking, how do we solve this? We need to bring in a customer success manager to support the customer to fully understand the product and onboard them and explain everything, right? And then you go to a model where you basically are saying. We don't need a customer success manager at all. We just let them, uh, you know, do self-service and then they can reach out if they need support, right? Um, And that's a super big uh, transition for a lot of people, um, both in sales and customer success and et cetera. Um, So so that can be scary for a lot of people. Uh, So it's really a, a change management exercise. And like any other change management exercises, It needs to come from the top management that you're doing this, why you're doing this, Uh, like the CEO level uh, needs to do it. So that's, I would say, the most important thing is that it's aligned uh, management communication
0: that
1: we're doing this and this is why we're doing this to explain the value and so on. and then from there, you you uh, drive it cross-functionally. It's a cross-functional initiative. It's not just one team, the product team that needs to do this. It's, as I mentioned earlier, right? marketing, customer success, sales, all of those functions need to get involved. The and incentives, really, uh, the package uh, of
0: sales that can be scary with, with this transition, or how to address the fear of uh, yeah. some key stakeholders.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you need to drive that cross-functionally basically like that it happens and progresses and and kind of moves on right um i think we did a couple of great things in COBOL when we did this transition number one was we so we did all that with the management but we also mapped out the entire process we had today uh Mm -hmm. like all the steps involved in our customer journey Mm -hmm. and then we looked at what is actually high touch today or not self-service today? And what could we make self-service? What should we make self-service to have this kind of self-service journey, right? Um, And so that created a nice overview and plan and uh, kind of goal to reach. Um, The second great thing we did, and that's actually kudos to our customer Mm -hmm. success team as they said, um, uh, basically we're gonna cut customer success, From our smallest customers so they kind of decided this chicken and egg problem uh, where you either you wait for product to be fully ready or you just say okay we're gonna cut the people so product better be ready right Uh, (laughs) i think uh, it's it's uh, of course it's not that harsh but it's more like then we figure out with automation how we can handle it and and so on right um Mm -hmm. and then the third thing related to that is we reduced the scope we focused on the smallest customers first instead of focusing on all customer segments, we focused on the ones with the easiest use case, the most likely, like the most transactional customers, really, um, yeah. so yeah, um, that, that also made a lot of sense.
0: And I assume this kind of process might take at least three to four quarters to start seeing a, a difference, kind of the the cultural yeah. shift. It's, uh, it's changing long, some long positions, process. exactly. Yeah.
1: That. Yeah, especially when you are in a company with 100 plus people, it's from there, it's just a long process to do such a transition. Uh, so you have to be patient, uh, but you should also try to push a bit more speed. And, and I think nice. the best way of doing that is by looking at what are other businesses doing. If they can do it, so right. can we, right? Like, why shouldn't we be able to do what what other right. businesses are doing, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, drive the motivation and fear away by looking at what others are doing.
0: Right, and sometimes that helps a lot. And I like to use that just to invite people who did it successfully to just to share some experiences to open just for a informal Q&A uh, with a leadership team. I think that this kind of initiatives helps to kind of have this outside perspective uh, and, uh, and kind of, again, being able to go through the fear of of change, and so maybe maybe it's it, it is too too early to do that change. Let's let's keep doing things as we have always been doing. Uh, that kind of mentality it can come into the room, and it's it's very difficult to to face that uh, as as the CEO or uh, as co-founders, right? Agree, agree. Yeah, good point. And, uh, and nowadays, I think that's something that comes to mind, and for the ones who are listening, which is also. It's different what we are talking. So we know that especially second and first-time founders talk a lot about this, which is we need to have more a go-to-market first mentality instead of a product-first mentality. But here we are really talking about a go-to-market first mentality with a product orientation in that go-to-market. Mentality, but maybe you are able to express this or articulate this in a better way. Why, when we talk about product led growth, we are not saying product first. We are really uh, trying to help the customer first with with the with, with, yeah. with products, right?
1: It, it's, yeah, that's a common, you know, the like, if we build it, they will come, right? That's the classic. Exactly. Uh, you still need, that's uh, that's yeah. what people always said. And that's not what product-led growth is about. It's not about you just build something and then they come. You still need to market your product. You still need to, you know, uh, put it out on the right channels, Good whether point. that's SEO, SEM, content, G two, whatever channels you wanna right. showcase your product. But it's just in the in the funnel of, um, you can say acquiring, uh, especially converting and retaining the customer. The product mm-hmm. becomes the the growth drive the driver basically right like you you basically you don't you try to remove the need to have people in that equation but it doesn't mean that you should still think about having the customer in mind who's your end user what's your messaging all of that needs to be aligned and the beautiful thing about when you do things product-led it's a lot easier to be standardized right because when you have people involved One salesperson can explain the product in one way. Another salesperson explains it in another way. They can over-promise and we can under-deliver. And over time, we always said like, okay, we need to train our salespeople. That's why we did sales enablement, all these different things. (laughs) But actually, when you do product-led growth, it's a lot easier to standardize the messaging, standardize the the product experience and all these things because it's a product, right? It's not a person uh, communicating this. Uh, but it's still a lot of people typically who needs to align and build that product so they then need to have that coherent messaging coherent you know uh, user journey and and these kind of things right. and that can be a challenge as well um so uh,
0: again it's, it's important to repeat this right it's it's yeah. not only the product team being alone building the product and expecting that everything will flow fantastically it's it's still a lot of customer centricity marketing play in the role. Even even sales in, in, in a lot of organizations will will need a, a, an important job. But of course, yeah. we don't need such a high uh, or such a big uh, sales team, and they will be much more strategic in their involvement with customers. Uh, and and less bureaucratic uh, in in the kind of tasks that they do. They can even add much more value to customers when they are speaking with customers instead of just doing basic stuff.
1: I don't, I've been a salesperson myself um, the number one thing I hated most was just doing those generic cooker, cookie cut demos, right? Like the same demo, you do it every growth. day, 10 <laughs> times a day, repeating, right? Repeating,
0: repeating. <laughs> in product-led
1: <laughs> growth, you, you should really try to avoid those demos. Have a video demo or have a, a free trial showcase the product. And then the meetings that might happen are much more value driving, right? It's meetings where the customers or uh, prospects can ask questions that are actually related to how they saw the product uh, specific right. use cases uh things like that so it's a much more value um, uh, based conversation uh yeah. and much more interesting conversation I, so so salespeople really get a lot of benefit from this model as well and you there's this new exactly. concept called sales assist where sales is basically like, they're they're, they're still yeah. part of the journey. They can be there to expand customers, to convert bigger customers. Um, but it's it's a different kind of conversation you're having when people are already tried your product, basically.
0: And you talked about something very important there, which is the alpha the of a product lab growth mentality in the scaling up stage, right? Uh, because... Then at that stage, a lot of the revenue comes from the existing customer base, and it's Mm. kind of the same exercise. How are we able to create more value for our existing customers and make it easier for them to expand, to be able to extract more value from the product? Yeah. And again, without uh, salespeople doing basic stuff and, and repetitive stuff that could be uh, automated and make it even easier for customers to decide when they want to expand and so the way they want to the package that they want in a, in a very easy way. So not only in the acquisition part, but in the retention part. And we know that's, that's also one of the issues when we see those NRR or net revenue retention rates uh, going down when they need to go up Because if if we don't have an healthy metric there, again, more customers or more revenue will need to come from uh, new customers. And especially after 10 million ARR or 20 or 50 million ARR, this this becomes a huge growth plateau if we are not able to grow um, enough from from existing customers.
1: agree. I think a popular thing uh, that's increasing and popular is usage-based pricing, which is very closely tied to product-led growth. Mm-hmm. Where you basically tie your pricing to some kind of thing that relates to users getting value from your product, right? The more value they get, the more they have to pay, right? In the old days, it was very much like a seat model mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that you would do, and it's not always seats relate to value. Sometimes they do,
0: or uh, but
1: um, yeah. but it can be uh, yeah features. So you you can kind of say you make a um, you 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 find that kind of thing that uh, users get value from. For instance, for Userflow, it's the amount of users you can serve with with our onboarding content, right? So we mm-hmm. charge based on that, like the monthly active users, uh, because the more users you have that get onboarded with Userflow, the more value you get, right? Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of, right. uh, uh, yeah, th- those are the things. With Cobalt, it was how many pen tests are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. The more pen test you do, the more value you get, right? Um, so so I think it's it's those kind of things that, that can also help and make it easier for salespeople as well to have the right conversation because it's, it's about them. How can we expand that value, right? How can we expand that right. usage? Um, and that's aligned with the usage-based pricing. Right. So, yeah.
0: So and let let's jump into into the different way of building a company from 0 to to 1 in a bootstrapping fashion with very limited uh ad counts do you do you still think that now user flow will go from 1 to 10 or 10 to 100s uh, you will need to expand a lot the headcount, what, what are your plans for the future, what are, what are so, your mindset, and after also the comparison with the with your experience with, with Cobalt, that you went through multiple um, investment rounds until Series yeah. B, right?
1: Yeah, no, so UserBlow is a very fun journey. We don't have plans to increase headcount dramatically, we might increase it a bit uh, just to um, if we need to. So far, we haven't, we're, we're still growing uh, fast, as fast as any VC backed company. Um, but wow. uh, we haven't had the need to basically um, add headcount. And it's due to this highly product led model. We have a great product, we have a lot of automation, uh, and it's a product led journey um, uh, uh, that we use. Uh, and for instance, with support, which could become a problem when you have 550 customers we always solve that in the product right so we, if we have a recurring support issue we fix it in the product and then you don't have it anymore uh, so we spend up to 50% of our time fixing ux issues that we then no longer have to uh, hear about um, so yeah so far so good uh, i i'm i'm excited to see how far we can go I, I i don't think it's actually unrealistic to go to like 5 million ar or even beyond that with a team of just three uh, but let's see wow um so 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 that that's a fun journey uh, with cobo yes we we so you would get did.
0: almost to the series B milestone in i would say in the, in the old SAS napkin to the kind of the 5 million ARR with just three people, uh, kind of the same series (laughs) that you raised, that's Cobalt, With I imagine at the time with 100 plus people uh, or or so, right? I mean, that
1: that has also changed. And I think we're going to see Series B being a bit different. Uh, I think when Cobalt, when I say Cobalt is a Series B company, we are what a Series B company would be 10 years ago, right? Like not the (laughs) Series... not the series b companies we saw last year where they have like 2 million in ar and then they are suddenly a unicorn like that that was just ridiculous Good right point. That's a big reason yeah. for why we're in the situation we're in today it was just it was uh, yeah too much uh, it, it wasn't realistic investments yeah. and uh, i don't know it was just like shooting let's see what we can hit let's hope we hit on the next uh, facebook and then it's all good right um yeah i think that that's great for the vcs that have a lot of money uh, for the founders who are raising uh, those kind of big rounds uh, there's a big risk of down rounds now which is yeah. not fun uh, that puts a lot of pressure right. on the founders uh, which i don't think they thought about when they did those big rounds yeah. back in uh, last the year through the layoffs um, and which is always uh, so, super so that's difficult not so
0: fun. For the yep. ones who are laid off, and for the ones who need to do the the layoff, right? exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. But but uh, yeah no. So so yeah, I think we can go pretty far with this model. I think we're also an outlier. What we're doing is, is special. I don't think uh, it can be applied to should do, should do that. But um, I think you should think about how big your team needs to be. I want to see more. I'm I'm, a, I'm very inspired by Basecamp, uh, point, uh, David yeah. Heinemeier uh, and the right. team there which basically build a profitable. uh, Yeah, they're around 50. They build a profitable, highly successful business Uh, and only raised, I think, some angel money from Jeff Bezos and a funny story there back then. Uh, But yeah, I I think that's the only thing that those kind of companies, I would love to see more of those um, in the future. And I think user flow is, that's the mindset we have. Um, But yeah, I have nothing against the VC journey as such. It's just a journey that you have to be very conscious about going on, right? With Cobalt, exactly. it, it was our first company, uh, and that was the only model we knew. Like you build a startup, then mm-hmm. you go raise capital. Uh, we didn't have any network, so I think we needed that uh, as well. We needed to get the network, raise right. the capital, build, uh, yeah. have the money to to survive, right? Um, uh, so for us, it made sense, but it also put us on a journey towards going public. Right. And that was yeah. more or less the only journey uh, you then go towards. And that, that's right. how VC money has been for the last many years. It's like you invest in companies with the aim of them going public or doing some kind of huge acquisition. Right. Um, yeah. And re- reality is that almost very few companies actually end up doing yeah. that. Right. Uh, okay. So there's a lot more companies that go under or get acquired at a lower amount. Yeah. and but you you still built your your company in a way that that was set up for that only goal right um so i think that should change you should look at okay what kind of company do i do i want to build do i want to build yeah. a big unicorn that needs to go public sure then go on the vc wagon do that uh, mm-hmm. stuff there and and that's aligned with their right. Uh, goals right but if you are looking to just build a profitable business where you can be in power of your own kind of decisions your own success what your company should look like and you could be satisfied let's say with um, Mm -hmm. maybe having just a good salary by having a very profitable business or maybe getting acquired at a lower amount because you are not that you don't have a lot of stakeholders to make that decision right then then uh, that then you maybe shouldn't raise from from venture capital funds. Maybe you can raise still from angels or something like that, but but I think that's that decision was never there in the past, which is interesting. It was always either or, right? It was like it, it was right. either I raise capital, or if I can't raise capital, it's because my business is bad and I need to close, close it down points. and do something close else, points. right? Um, uh, so so I think uh, I I just I think. What we are advocates for is there are actually another path and uh, mm-hmm. the bootstrap path and the path of profitability instead of just yeah. uh, growth for the sake of
0: growth. I'm kind of observing uh, some trends here. So the first one is that we are seeing more second and third time founders uh, who might not have been very successful exiting the previous, the previous business, but they already have some pocket money that mm-hmm. allow them to be a little bit more Mid-term, long-term oriented, and less survival mode. As typically the 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 majority yeah. of the founders has been until now is uh, I don't have money in the bank and uh, I need to struggle and I need to uh, sleep in the office until I'm able to 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 save all uh, all pennies to to invest uh, in in the product. I would say that is one. Second, founders that have that opportunity don't want to have the pressure from the VC world, especially when they are trying to prove product market fit. So they want to have the foundation right before they start scaling up. And, and then they need to, they want to deploy capital and, and go the, the VC path and still have the decision, is this a, a business that is VC backable or non VC backable? And uh, we only know that after product market fit, right? Uh, are we able to grow this quickly or not? Uh, more money will allow us to to grow faster. Uh, yes or no? I think that there are so many pieces that we need to uh, understand and put together when we are in the in the pre seed and seed stage, getting into product market fit. Hopefully at Series A, but as you said nowadays, it seems that product market fit is much more at Series B or Series C. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> things are 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 changing, so it's it's cool to yeah. see this this new trend, man. Right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, um, how can I put it? It's not user flow is actually, I think would be a fantastic VC case. We could probably become a unicorn and do all those things, right? It's just, that's not the path that my co-founder and I want to go on. We want to have a profitable business. Yeah. We want to not just hire, 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 grow, 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 <laughs> uh, you know, this kind of stuff. And because that's a very long journey. It's not like a overnight, journey for you to succeed with that. It's a 10 year plus journey to uh, build a unicorn, right? Uh, Cobalt is getting closer, but it's, we've been around for 10 years, right? Uh, So it's a a long journey. Uh, Whereas you can build a highly successful, profitable SaaS business in, I would say, less than five years, right? Uh, That can be good for you and as a founder and and your employees but it's not a you know then you don't didn't select that vc uh, case right um so so that that's important the other thing i want to highlight i think it's super important what you said about mm-hmm. product market fit um i think and even even in cobol even though we went on a vc back journey we we were lucky in the sense that we didn't raise one of those big rounds because they also existed back then. You did see Sequoia Mm -hmm. and Andreessen doing these like 20 million rounds in some kind of unproven company. Um, We were doing what was called bug bounty programs in the beginning Mm -hmm. and we couldn't raise money but a lot of our competitors has raised like huge rounds, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. and we were like, okay, does that mean we are not gonna win in this market? But then we realized over time that uh, people were not buying the bug bounty, not because of the other players, but because mm-hmm. there wa- it wasn't a need to have, it wasn't something, it wasn't a product market fit basically. And then mm-hmm. we actually changed our model to be pen testing, which is a more like control test and, and structure mm-hmm. that you can use for sales process and so on. Mm-hmm. And that just changed everything. Suddenly we had product market fit, no matter how many competitors that were in the market. We had the product market fit. We were growing fast. Um, and because we hadn't raised that big round, we didn't have to convince any investors why right. we were pivoting, why we were changing our model.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because we hadn't sold a story about this bug bounty being amazing. We had we had just raised a bit of money. And and then when we had the Pensa's model, had the pr- product market fit, then we could go out and raise more capital because now we actually knew this is a model that can scale, right? So I think that's another big thing for companies to think about. Be a bit aware about what story you're selling and how much money you're raising before you actually know if your product market fit. Because VCs are gonna expect returns, they're gonna expect growth, they're gonna, it's you know, their
0: business, right?
1: expect a lot of different things. And if you cannot live up to that, that's gonna be tough on your business, right?
0: Um, so, absolutely you don't you you don't need only to kind of calibrate the direction of uh, of the team but also of the, the the stakeholders and the investors at the same time again the change management exercise that we talk, we were talking about before and moving from sales led growth into product led growth uh is not easy just with the team uh, imagine having the team and the investors uh to to pivot uh, your yeah. strategic direction for the company Awesome. Eswin, let's go into the last segment of the show where I ask you a quick question. You give me a a brief answer. uh, And I know that you are... very diligent uh with that given your roots (laughs) 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 and i saw you in some of in some of the 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 open questions that i asked you before so let's go into the first one if you would have the opportunity uh to have a coffee with your younger self and you can decide at the beginning of cobalt or user flow what advice would you offer to your younger husband
1: i think uh, when i was younger i actually build websites and all sorts of stuff. And then I went on the university path, which is very classical in Denmark. You go on this, like you go into high school, you go to university, you go get a job at a consultancy. I wish I could have, uh, because I read a lot about Skype back then and so on. I wish I would have been more kind of exposed to this uh, startup culture earlier. So I could have done some kind of startups. It, do- it doesn't mean that I wouldn't have gone to university, but it could have meant that I could have been exposed to the startup world a bit earlier. so that's something I hope to instill in, in my own uh, kids someday and, and you know do, uh, like expose them a bit to this possibility of doing startups that that's an actual career journey that you can go on.
0: Right. Take more risks early on, and that's something that I would also tell to my to my younger self. And what yeah. are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Oh, I'm proud of a lot of
1: things. Uh, I mean, I am proud of being part of building a company that's today is 300 people, right? That's pretty amazing. Amazing. Um, it's a successful company, so that's one of the the big parts. Uh, but I'm also proud of what we're doing right now. Uh, I think it's insane um, that we can scale to millions in AR with a team of just three people. So, so I'm proud of both journeys. Uh, it's been very different journeys, but uh, I'm I'm very proud of both. Um, yeah.
0: Worst advice ever received. Oh man. <laughs> uh
1: actually I don't know. I, I tend to not listen to <laughs> that, that of you uh, filtered so them I, out, so uh, you don't remember. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Um yeah, no, I haven't oh sorry, Siri jumped in here. We had to cut that out. Mm. Uh, no, so uh, <laughs> um Yeah, no, I don't know if I ever received any very bad advice. Uh, uh, I've always been kind of positive around uh, listening to what people say and then I take in what I want and don't take in what I don't want. Right.
0: Awesome. And so now let's go into the resources. Your favorite book, business or non-business? Yeah, no.
1: So uh, the book I always like to recommend is uh, Wes Bush has written this book on product-led growth. That I think everybody should read in software as a service. Um, it's a very great right. book. They also have a community where you can learn a lot about uh, product-led growth. Um, so yeah, uh, highly, highly, highly recommend that one. Um, yeah,
0: great resource after our discussion today to to go learn more uh, about what we have discussed today. Favorite movie or series?
1: Oh man, I watch so much uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, show, <laughs> so many shows. Uh, my latest favorite is Succession, probably. I, I really like that one until they reached yeah. uh, season four, I think it was, that turned really bad. Uh, but uh, but that's a great show. I highly recommend that. Um, there's also a new show on HBO called The Peripheral that I also mm-hmm. like. Um, I like those kind of shows, similar to like Black Mirror where it's like Uh uh, Dystopia, Future, Uh, those are great.
0: Right. And finally, your favorite podcast, excluding this one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course, this one, right? But yeah, (laughs) Uh, I I think my favorite podcast is uh, How I Built This uh, with Guy Raz. I think it's just amazing, inspirational stories that everybody can learn from. They're much more like focus, SaaS podcast and so on. But that one, I think the power of that podcast is that you don't need to be a startup founder or anybody, you can be anyone and listen to that podcast and get inspired. Uh, So uh, I think that's a a great podcast.
0: And it kind of connects you with with your first uh, advice to your uh, younger self. So Esben, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure and congrats for the amazing work that you have been doing. Thank you. My pleasure. And to our community, thanks for being there. We keep uh, bringing you the best of the best to make your life easier from zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to 100. See you soon and keep scaling.